I'm Denzel Mohammed, and this is Jobmakers. Immigrants from Ireland were vilified and discriminated against when they began moving to the U.S. to flee the Irish potato famine, which saw one million Irish die and one million more Irish migrate. It was a sad but common story of former immigrant groups looking down on new immigrant groups. But those Irish immigrants, like immigrants before them and since, persevered, worked, and built dreams that those who came after them could build on. For Shane Smith, the path built by Irish immigrants before him helped him to start Hugh O'Neill's Irish pub in Malden nearly 20 years ago. And he's now co-owner of five more restaurants in Newton and Boston, Massachusetts, even launching one during the pandemic. Shane went on to more odd, odd jobs to survive and live out his adventure in California. As his visa was about to run, run out, he and his friends heard about something called the Morrison Visa, one of the few immigration bills in U.S. history that sought to increase immigration. Part of the Immigration Act of 1990, signed into law by President George H.W. Bush. Through this program, he was able to apply for permanent residence, submitting hundreds of applications, presumably to increase his chances. It worked, and within months, he had a green card. He moved to Chicago, continuing his string of odd jobs. But it wasn't necessarily as hard as it was for other immigrants. Shane sees how immigrant workers are the backbone of the restaurant industry. They are more than 40% of our agricultural workers and one-fifth of our food prep and serving workers. And he also sees the tremendous skills and drive they bring. So Shane has some strategies in how restaurants can survive crises. And he says it cannot be done without immigrants as you'll find out in this week's Jobmakers. Tell us a little bit about your journey to the U.S. You came from Ireland several years, many years ago. Uh, what was that experience like and why did you do it? Well, it was a very exciting experience for sure at the time. Um, I came first uh, 30 years ago in 1991. I was a student in college um, and a friend and I were discussing uh, what we would do for the summer and you know, plans for working. We needed to make money for, for the next year. Um, and he had been to Cape Cod the previous summer and loved it uh, on a J-1 student visa. And um, I decided I would apply for one also. And we came up with the idea to move to California. Um, not really sure why, maybe watching too many Beach Boys videos or something, but we decided California was a place and we chose San Francisco. I remember you arrived that first night and, and the uh, program puts you up for the, your first night. And then after that, you're on your own. You leave in the morning and uh, you have to make your way. And yeah, it was definitely intimidating. But I think the first impression was all the yellow cabs. Uh, so it definitely looked like it did in the movies. But, um, you know, our experience was, I suppose, typical immigrant arrival experience. We 
got an apartment, um, you know, probably just something advertised on a window. We, we had a studio apartment that we shared with three other people. So there were four or five of us total in a studio for the whole for six months and also a, a colony of cockroaches that shared the place with us. Um, but, you know, we you tried to find work. Um, our first job was putting an earthquake foundation into someone's garage, which was uh, pretty crazy for us. I think being from Ireland, you have the advantage of, of speaking the language here, obviously. So that was a big plus. But then also we had another advantage in that many, many people came before us from Ireland and um, so many immigrants emigrated to America. And so while I didn't know anyone specifically, there were, you know, you would meet Irish people through sports and things like that. And it would help you a little bit along the way, but they blazed the trail, you know, the people that had to leave hundreds of years before us. And uh, so that would have helped with that experience. Quite remarkable that you just were 30 years ago, were able to apply for a green card. Whereas things today are so much harder, not just thinking about the backlog that we've seen in the past several years, but how many hoops people have to jump through. And it was relatively easier for you 30 years ago. Yeah. And um, coming from a place like Ireland, I remember Larry O'Toole talking about just the sheer diversity that he encountered versus uh, the lack of diversity in Ireland. Um, you must have seen a lot of that in Los Angeles, right? In California. Yeah, for sure. You know, and that was definitely another eye-opening part of it when... As I said, I grew up on a farm in the country and, you know, you never, even when I went to college in Dublin, um, you know, my siblings and I were the first generation of our family to ever go to college. And um, I think even then, 30 plus years ago, there was no diversity in Ireland. No one wanted to come to Ireland. There was nothing there to attract them. There wasn't any work. Um, The weather wasn't great. It still isn't, obviously. Um, But it wasn't the kind of country that people came to. It was the kind of a country that people left, um, unfortunately. And that's, you know, that was my experience. It's not, it certainly wasn't as much needing to leave as kind of wanting to maybe. But I think, yeah, there, there was very little diversity in Ireland then. And it's great to see it now when I do go back, how, how it's changed and how it has become a place that's desirable to go to. And the economy has boomed in the years since. And it has given a lot of people a lot of opportunities from other countries to come there to make a life for themselves. And, you know, it's it's nice to see that reverse migration where we sent our people to so many nations for literally hundreds of years out of necessity. And now we can welcome people to Ireland and offer them something where they can make a better life for themselves. And, you know, that's, that's something for us to be proud of, I think. And you mentioned about the Irish immigrants who blazed a trail in the U.S., those who came before you. Um, what is sort of like the legacy of that? And, and, and how do you feel about those immigrants who came before you from Ireland? Well, I think the le- legacy is unending, I would say. Um, you know, from the beginning where during famine times in the 1800s where people had no option but to leave because it was either that or die. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people died on the journey. Um, But when they came to foreign lands, they were treated as third-class citizens and began in the very bottom rungs of society and did all the jobs that no one else wanted to do. And, you know, very common with immigrants nowadays too. 
that we see in this country anyway. Um, but, you know, I think when you look back at the experiences of my own ancestors and everybody else's ancestors in Ireland where everybody knew someone who emigrated, it was it's a sad legacy really in a way that they had to do this. You know, it really came from colonization from the British and, you know, them stealing our food, stealing our land and our language and, you know, making it a thing where people had no other option, but they needed to get out of there to to be able to feed themselves and feed their families. And, you know, to look now um, in the couple of hundred years since that, and, you know, I suppose specifically speaking about us history, um, but this is, it applies to almost every country around the world where Irish people made a life for themselves and they created a legacy and they, you know, broke through those barriers that were there and broke down those prejudices that were there by through hard work, um, perseverance. And, and, you know, they really created a future for the generations like myself that came after who emigrated that, you know, those people had already broken down those barriers and, had had shown the particularly in the US had shown that they could work hard and they could make something of themselves so that Irish people were no longer stigmatized um like they were in the beginning. And you know, I suppose the pinnacle of that was uh John F. Kennedy becoming president here. And you know, every household in Ireland had a picture of him and and the Pope or the Virgin Mary in the front room. You bring up some really interesting points. And one of them is the discrimination that they faced when they first arrived in the 1800s. And it's something we've seen over and over again in uh, US history. Every group that comes here faces this similar discrimination. And then the group that comes after them faces discrimination from the prior group. So, you know, Italian immigrants were discriminated against by the Irish immigrants who came before them. And it's a constant legacy. and then you spoke about, you know, just taking the jobs that people weren't doing, the most menial jobs. And as someone who is in the restaurant industry, I'm sure that you see that very, very starkly. You know, Hispanic immigrants are probably single-handedly responsible for holding up the restaurant industry, being, you know, behind the scenes as cooks, as chefs, as cleaners. Um, what are your thoughts on today's immigrants? Do you see that they are any different to the immigrants who came before them? No, I, I don't. I, I think it's, I, I think they have the same stories. They have the same dreams and goals and aspirations that the generations of immigrants before them. People, you know, 99% of people are coming here or moving wherever it is or to make a better life for themselves and for their families. And there really isn't any difference. The times change. The maybe the the countries that they're emigrating from changes. Maybe the reasons uh, change, but at the end of the day, everybody has the same goal. They just want to make a better life, and you know I don't see any difference. And and that's something for me personally. The I, I it make it's hard for me to understand um, how people who are here today, maybe who are mostly, let's face it, most people who are in the US are descended from an immigrant, most of them, but if they're not American Indian anyway. And it's interesting and sad to see how people can treat immigrants so poorly and think so poorly of them. And it's not everybody, of course, but those that do, you wonder why, because in reality, they came 
they had they had the same background. It just might be a few generations ago. It might be one, might be two. But like you said, you know, you've different generations who discriminate against those who came before them, and that's mystifying because you would think that they would have more empathy, and you would think that they would be looking to support immigrants more. And um, you know, that's that's ironic. It's sad, um, but it, it, yeah, it seems to be history repeating itself in that regard. But I think that I do think that immigrants today. They work just as hard as immigrants before them. You, you mentioned the restaurant industry, and yeah, I mean, we, the restaurant industry. I don't even know you're like it would never survive without immigrants. In fact, immigrants are those not only creating jobs in the restaurant industry but doing those jobs. And I think it's an incredible industry for immigrants to get involved in because you can become something from nothing without any background in the industry uh, without any formal training. I know personally, you know, that's that's my own kind of background, but also people who work for me currently or who have worked for me who maybe started as a dishwasher and worked their way up to being a head chef or people who started out and are now owners, um, you know, creating jobs themselves. But, you know, in terms of immigrants holding up the industry, I don't see how we would survive without them. And it's a big challenge right now. You know, obviously there's a huge staffing crisis in the restaurant industry and across a lot of industries right now, but we need more immigrants to come in, I feel like. And, you know, I I wish we had more people who were able to get visas and were able to come and work. Immigrants are making the country run. And, um, you know, we need to continue with um, giving opportunities to immigrants to come into the country legally, to work, to pay taxes and to help, the rest of the economy grow. You remind me of someone who's actually across the street from you, Douglas Tran, who started out as a busboy, and now he owns All Seasons Table and multiple other restaurants. Similar story to yours. And your your first restaurant is located in Malden. And just taking a walk down Main Street or Pleasant Street, you see so many immigrant-run businesses, particularly restaurants and food services. And I... You know, in talking to young people in schools, fifth graders, I remind them that, you know, don't take for granted that you have access to all these different kinds of cuisines, Thai food, Mexican food, Irish food, uh, the haven in JP, Scottish food, um, because of immigration. And there are parts of the country where they don't have that luxury. They don't have that variety of cuisines, that enriching of our cultures. But I want to talk about your restaurants now. First of all, tell us, give us sort of the overview of the spectrum of restaurants and cuisines and locations and clienteles. Uh, And then tell us what it was like starting your first restaurant. Uh, So I'm involved in, I suppose, uh, a pretty diverse um, group of restaurants in that um, we span everything from Irish, as you mentioned, to American and then to um, some Asian cuisine as well. A lot of the food is influenced by European cooking techniques, French and Spanish. Um, I'm very lucky to have a business partner in the Newton locations uh, who is a chef and classically trained and has, you know, great skill in terms of bringing those um, flavors to people. Um, we, we, I have, it's, it's in Malden, it's, it's an Irish pub. That was the first one uh, started 20 years ago. Um, and then in Newton, uh, we have different restaurants that are kind of going from uh, bistro style to 
um, to ramen, uh, ramen shop that's in Newton Center as well. So Little Big Diner is that one. And we opened a pizzeria during COVID, um, Jimmy's Pizzeria. And then we have two more kind of like more classic restaurants, Buttonwood and Sycamore, uh, that are, as I said, more kind of bistro style. And then in Boston, uh, and co-owner of a brasserie that's an American brasserie. And that's kind of like an all day type experience for lunch, dinner, um, and late night, which unfortunately we're still closed post pandemic, but uh, we're working on a reopening there at the moment. Um, but I think, you know, it's kind of a, it's a little bit about, um, maybe trying different experiences. And as you were talking about, you know, giving people, the experience of trying different types of cuisine no matter where they are and you know you can't really it's kind of to try and replicate the same thing maybe doesn't make the most sense it kind of works for some certain uh concepts but we always wanted to offer something new each time we opened a new place and um i think you know that's kind of something that makes it maybe a little bit more interesting for us as well um you're not repeating yourself so what was it like starting your first restaurant? I, I, and I want to I venture to suggest that you didn't have the intention of starting an Irish pub when you first came here, did you? Uh, no, definitely not. Um, I, you know, I think, to be honest, when, when I came first, I really had no idea what I wanted to do kind of with my life, sort of, as they say, or professionally anyway. Um, I was you know, I'd studied business management in college. Uh, I didn't particularly like what I had, didn't particularly enjoy it. It was, it was during one of those times when I was living in Chicago, I, I had an injury from work. I couldn't work for a couple of months and I really needed to make some money. I had no income, but nobody, you know, you're on your own as an immigrant. Um, I didn't have any family or support system. So I got a job working on the door uh, at a place uh, in downtown Chicago, kind of like a bar restaurant yeah, just checking IDs and things like that. Um, that was my first ever experience of hospitality in the US. And and then a friend of mine who I had met in San Francisco from the same part of Ireland as me, we played football together. He had moved to Boston and he was opening a bar in Cambridge and he had reached out to me and asked, would I be interested in coming to work for him when he opened it? I said, sure, why not? I was in Chicago at the time. I moved to Boston and you know, the rest is history. I started there and, you know, just working the door again and serving tables and kind of bar backing and working my way up the chain um, until I was bartending full time and then did some managing. And at some point I just kind of realized that I was good at it, I guess, you know, maybe the business management course um, actually came, uh, stood to me at some point, you know, realized that I was, I was, fairly decent at what I was doing. And I worked a lot of shifts. I worked seven nights a week, some weeks, and, you know, just tried to save as much money as I could. And, um, luckily was able to do that with the tips that I earned. Um, and along with that friend who I owned the place with and another partner, then we chipped in together and, um, opened Hugh O'Neill's and Malden coming up in 20 years ago. And that was, you know, that was the first place that was kind of, you know, an Irish pub was what we knew. It was the experience that we had growing up. Um, an Irish pub being the place where three, four generations of a family would gather for all kinds of um, celebrations or um, events or parties. And, you know, even during the sad times of a funeral at the time was kind of, you know, maybe a little bit underserved in terms of having options for dining out and places to go to get a good drink. And, um, 
we tried to fill that need and here we are we're still there um and that what, was what was what was the downtown like in Malden 20 years ago it was very quiet uh, to be honest there really wasn't um there were a few stores um there were no other restaurants on the street there was a a pub up at the top of pleasant street that didn't even serve food um so there were literally no dining options on pleasant street in Malden and you know now as you mentioned just to see the difference today where almost every second building is a restaurant and most of them ethnic restaurants most of most of them immigrant owned and all serving amazing foods that give you flavors from their home countries and you know I try to support them myself personally as much as possible and send our customers to them and you know their customers come to us and it's a really great kind of a community the restaurant community in downtown Malden and but I know that you had like 180 employees total before the pandemic what happened last year to your businesses well obviously last year um, when covid hit was just a like pulling that putting on the handbrake in the car you know going 70 miles an hour on the highway it was just a complete stop we came to um we had to shut down by state order so it was pretty traumatic to be honest um emotionally financially like all of those things um not just for for myself and and my partners of course but for the staff as well you know where people's livelihoods were pulled from underneath them in in one day it was very challenging to halt your operations immediately um in first thing was to shut down your facilities um we obviously got a lot of perishable product uh, a lot of that was lost um but a lot of that we were able to then we gave a lot of it to our staff that you know now had no job um and then we were able to start you know a few weeks later start cooking it and some things and and um cook meals for our staff that didn't have any work but we had to furlough our staff um which was probably one of the hardest things i've ever had to do professionally uh, and personally um but you know luckily for the staff the state started an unemployment scheme people were able to get unemployment right away but then of course there's staff who weren't able to get unemployment and you know that was one of our biggest challenges was trying to figure out how we could help out our staff that weren't able to get unemployment and like i mentioned cooking for them is one thing um we had a go fund me at one point that one of our regulars started up our industry is still going through a lot of challenges created by that and i think they're probably going to last for quite some time you know our businesses look very very different today from what they did um you know back last march so talk a little bit about that the how how does the business look different today yeah so um i suppose some of the more obvious things that 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 you could see or anyone could see from the outside is um we have outdoor seating which um most of uh, my locations we didn't have outdoor seating um Hugh O'Neill's and Malden did that was the only one that had outdoor seating um a lot of them didn't even offer any takeout which now is you know well takeout sustained us through the winter and that was kind of like your new business model was as a takeout restaurant um little big diner actually kind of completely flipped from 100% dine in to 100% takeout over the course of about 6 weeks uh, last uh, last summer so there are some of the more obvious things um also our hours have changed dramatically and that 
we haven't been able to get back to full operation as yet, um, where some of the restaurants were open. Most of them were open seven nights a week. Um, those are only open five nights a week currently. Um, it's due to, you know, and it's not just as simple as being able to ramp back up uh, to full operation, but also so many challenges in terms of staffing and still have a little bit smaller menus. And we had to adapt to um, having a lot less business. So you couldn't offer the same amount of offerings as you had before, you know, uh, like Hugh O'Neill's, for example, had 36 beers on tap. Well, you know, we couldn't, when we reopened, we couldn't reopen with 36 beers because we just simply didn't have enough business to justify that. You would never keep them fresh. So um, we've increased the use of technology, simple things like QR codes. You've seen them everywhere, doing online ordering. You know, really at the time, the, 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 your strategy was just survival at the time. So, you know, it, it was a case of take on whatever projects you could. Sycamore started a subscription service during the winter. Um, you know, Buttonwood became takeout only for three months during the winter. You know, these are some of the things that we had to do. Each place was different, but we just had to adapt to survive. And um, Finally, Shane, you've been living in the U.S. for over 30 years. Uh, you moved here almost on a whim. It was adventure. It was uncertainty. You had to be scrappy. You had you ended up in every possible industry before you uh, started this career. What are your thoughts about America as the place that allowed you to come here and eventually flourish? What are your thoughts about America as a home for immigrants? Uh, well, I will be eternally grateful. That's the first thing I can say for the opportunities that were um, allowed to me by this country. And, you know, also obviously having the opportunity to get a green card back 30 years ago, um, which I know I was incredibly lucky at the time with whatever programs were there that, you know, in that day I was able to do so and be able to come legal, become legal because I would never have been able to, to have the opportunities and have the things happen for me that have happened without that. Um, I wish that more people had those opportunities. Um, you know, today it's so much harder for people to get a green card. Uh, that needs to change. I do think that this country needs immigrants to replenish the workforce. It needs immigrants to bring that diversity of lifestyle to the country. And, you know, it's important that um, this country continues on that path. It's important that we continue to be that country. It's important that we continue to give people those opportunities to build up our own communities, to build up the people around us, to, um, you know, because if if the people around us are successful, everyone else will be successful. And I think we we all see that. You talk about Malden Centre and walking up Pleasant Street. Like if you didn't have immigrant immigration policies, you'd never have that. Look at all the jobs that are created by immigrants. and. You know, that's, that's, that's been going on for hundreds of years. We need to continue that. I hope that people get back to realizing that immigrants are a positive and not a negative and that immigrants bring so much to the table. Shane Smith, I, I couldn't have said that better myself. Um, thank you so much for joining us in Jobmakers. This was a really fascinating and insightful conversation. And I really wish you the best of luck as we come out of this pandemic. Thank you, Denzel. I appreciate you having me on. And it was, it was a great experience too. And all the best. Keep up the good work. 
Job Makers is a weekly podcast produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thank you for joining us for this week's inspiring story of another immigrant entrepreneur. If you know someone we should talk to, email Denzel, that's D-E-N-Z-I-L, at jobmakerspodcast.org. Leave us a review on your favorite streaming service too. I'm Denzel Mohammed. Join us next Thursday at noon for another Jobmakers podcast.